And good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is uh, Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I especially want to say hello to our listeners on Spotify and Anchor FM uh, and the other platforms that we uh, broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. It is a great joy uh, to welcome you to our unseen, unnumbered radio audience and I hope that you'll make uh, this podcast a regular habit in your life, because one of my desires is for Christians to get deeper and deeper into the Word of God. Now, uh, we're going to continue today in our uh, in our uh, study of um, let's see, First uh, Peter. And in fact, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We've already covered now the first two chapters of 1 Peter. And today we'll be in chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that we're going to finish this today, but we're certainly going to start it. (laughs) That is, I don't know if we'll finish chapter 3 today, but we will certainly start chapter 3. And it's going to be a very interesting chapter In fact, these first seven verses, and that might be as far as we get on the program today, uh, they say some things that uh, may not go over too well in today's society, the way uh, people think nowadays. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1, 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter is pointing out that wives in the same way submit yourself to your husbands so that even if they refuse to believe the word, they will be won over uh, without words by the behavior of their wives when they see your pure and reverent demeanor. Now, I want you to think about something. Uh, you may very well be the only Bible that somebody reads. Uh, let's say you're a, a Christian woman and you're married to an unchristian husband. Uh, chances are he doesn't have a lot of stock in the Word of God. In fact, he may not be willing to read or study the Word of God at all. And therefore, the only way he's going to know anything about what the Bible teaches is by observing the behavior of his wife, you see. And hopefully the wife will live in such a way so that her unbelieving husband will see Christ in her by the way she lives. For example, the Bible talks about wives here submitting themselves to their husbands. Now, I believe this applies whether or not your husband is a Christian. Now, I've known some women down through the years, they'll say, well, I don't mind submitting to my husband as long as he's a Christian and as long as he believes like I believe. But the Bible seems to indicate here, and First Peter seems to be telling his, uh, or rather the Apostle Peter seems to be telling his audience Wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And this is a broad categorical statement. 
In other words, this applies regardless of whether or not your husband is a believer or an unbeliever. Amen. And hopefully, like I say, by submitting to your husband, then he will see the Lord in you. And they will be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see your pure and reverend demeanor. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or gold jewelry or fine clothes, but the inner disposition of your heart, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in God's sight. For this is how the holy women of the past adorned themselves. They put their hope in God and were submissive to their husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and even called him Lord. And you are her children if you do what is right and refuse to give way to fear. Now, think about this. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Be submissive to your husbands. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you. I believe very strongly in the fact that the Bible teaches that the husband is the head of the home. The husband is the head of the home. He calls the shots. He makes the final decisions. Now, I will say this. The husband is to be a leader and not a dictator. He is to be a leader and not a dictator. But, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. But the important point here is that wives are to submit themselves to their husband and understand that real beauty comes not from fine clothes, not from jewelry, not from all kinds of makeup. Real beauty comes from within. <laughs> In fact, when you have that inner beauty, women, <laughs> When you women have that inner beauty, you don't really need makeup and jewelry. Now, of course, you need clothes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be from, you know, some fancy department store. You know, just something plain, basic, and simple. And In fact, in my opinion, the, the, the more basic, the better. <laughs> uh, to me, when a woman wears too much jewelry or too much makeup, it's a turnoff. I think some is fine, you know, and of course, some of you women, uh, you might even find yourself needing makeup more than others, but uh, too much of it can actually be, in my opinion, a turnoff. Now, I know what some people are thinking, Warren, this is where you've stopped preaching and gone to meddling, but uh, I'm just trying to stick to what the Bible says here, and notice it says here that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Think about that for a moment. Sarah obeyed Abraham. You know, when Abraham told her to do something, she did it. You know, for example, you'll remember when Abraham and Sarah went down into Egypt. Uh, Abraham told Sarah to tell Pharaoh that she was the sister of Abraham. 
because he said if you tell her if you tell him that you're my wife he'll kill me and take you now if, if you think about it for a moment Abraham was not exactly being respectful to his wife here he wasn't looking out for her safety he was watching out for his hide but nonetheless the important point here is when Abraham told Sarah to do something she did it it didn't really matter what she thought about it it didn't matter if she agreed with it or didn't agree with it she did it and in fact it goes on to say she called him Lord now of course this is where <laughs> what the Bible says rubs against what society believes as a whole today I know some women even Christian women who say well I don't care if my husband is a Christian I'm not going to call him Lord I'm not always going to obey him but you see now if that's your attitude it's contrary it's contrary to what the Bible teaches now let's go on now Peter is going to talk a little bit here to the husbands <laughs> now, up until now you husbands out there you know you've probably had no trouble at all accepting what I've had to say but now here we come to the husbands husbands in the same way treat your wives with consideration as a delicate vessel and with honor as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life so that your prayers will be not hindered now in these or in this verse here verse 7 verse 7 is one of those loaded verses of the Bible it has a lot to say first of all it says husbands in the same way treat your wives with consideration now, I've already indicated on this podcast this morning that the husband is to be the head of the home he has the final say however the Bible also says here treat your wives with consideration now I'm going to give you a case in point here let's say uh, you're a Christian man and you've got a Christian wife and you have been offered a promotion on your job and this is a job that has a promotion that will give you considerably more pay and benefits than what you have now now the only drawback to this is in order to accept this promotion you're going to have to move several states away in other words you're going to have to move basically across the country now you can understand that's a pretty big decision now according to the Bible the husband does have the final say here but it should be a situation where he takes his wife into consideration it's not wrong here for the husband to seek the opinion of his wife and to welcome input from his wife you know it might be she's going to think of some things here that he hasn't thought about and then too it might be he knows some things that she may not know um, for example this Christian husband might be in his 50s he's starting to get at that age where it's not easy 
to go to another job and start from scratch. In other words, if he takes the promotion, he has to move. If he doesn't take the promotion, he's out of a job. You know, so he has to think about how easy would it be for me to find another job here in town that pays at least as well as I make now, if not more. And then, of course, you have to think about the wife. What does she make? Does she make anything at all? Does she work outside the home? Or is she willing to work outside the home? These are the things that husbands and wives, of course, have to think about. And most of all, it's something they have to pray about. Now, once there's been a period of thinking and praying, ultimately the husband will make the final decision. And it's the duty of the wife, according to the teaching of the word here, it is the duty of the wife to submit to the decision of her husband. In other words, if the husband says we're moving halfway across the country, that's the way it's going to be. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, it also says so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, what Peter is telling his audience here is, if you're not right at home, if you are not at home the way you should be, then it's going to affect your prayer life. Now, of course, this is also true in other areas. For example, uh, if you have maybe a, a stormy relationship with your boss or you don't get along very well with your fellow workers, that could be a hindrance to your prayer life as well. You know, if you um, find yourself um, maybe not getting along with your neighbors, always battling and arguing with your neighbors, this too could be a hindrance to your prayer life. One of the things the Bible seems to make clear is the fact that when we're not right with other people, whether it be your spouse or somebody else, when you're not right with other people, this is automatically going to serve as a hindrance to your prayer life. It's automatically going to serve as a hindrance to your prayer life. Then we talk about turning from evil. This starts with verse 8. We might get a little bit further today than I thought. Turning from evil, verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love as brothers and be tender-hearted and humble. Now, notice it says here, you are to be like-minded and sympathetic. Like-minded and sympathetic. You know, uh, we have... In the average church today, a lot of things going on. You've got couples that are going through a divorce. You might have either a husband or a wife that's going through a period of unemployment. You might even have a situation where one of your church members has become homeless. Well, the Bible teaches here that we as a Christian body, we as a Christian church, are to be sympathetic. <laughs> Now, a lot of times down through the years on this program, I've had a lot of pet peeves, you might say, with church benevolent committees. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact 
that charity begins with the church. It's not primarily the job of the government. When it comes to poor people, homeless people, it's not primarily the government's job to take care of these people. It is primarily the job of the church to take care of these people and to help them in any way that we can. Now, I don't think it's wrong for a church to insist that the person they're helping do everything they can to help themselves. In other words, let's say you've got, you know, a family in the church that's unemployed. You might tell the husband, now look, you know, we're going to help your family here. We're going to get you some clothes. We're going to get you some food. We're going to help you with the rent. But now here's the thing. In return for all that, we want you to make an honest, good faith, sincere effort to find a job. <laughs> Amen. Find a job. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in fact, if I were pastor of a church and we have somebody in need in the church congregation, I'll say, we will help you for as long as we can. But here's the deal. You need to do all you can to help yourself. You need to send out resumes. You need to fill out job applications. Uh, I don't want you staying home all day and thinking about your situation. I want you to get out the door every day and look for a job. Amen. We are to be tender-hearted and humble, compassionate, merciful. You know, a lot of times I, I talk to Christians, they're going down the road, and they see a homeless man. And he's got a cardboard sign, and will work for food. Now, I know what you're thinking, and there have been times when I've thought the same thing. Why doesn't that person haul off and get a job? You know? Why don't they take that time that they're holding up that cardboard sign will work for food? Why don't they spend that time looking for a job? Now, I have to admit, I've thought that way sometimes myself. Now, usually when I do, the Lord will convict me right away that my attitude ain't right. And then I'll find myself praying for that person and maybe even giving a few dollars to that person. Because you see, we have to realize and understand that except it be for the grace and mercy of God, that could be us homeless and not somebody else. Amen. And then it says here in verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because, this, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must not seek, or rather, he must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are righteous and his ears are inclined to uh, their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's in verse 12. 
Now, once again, we've got a good bit of material here. We're to be like-minded and sympathetic as brothers. Now, by the way, the, the word like-minded there indicates that we are to be people who try to promote peace in the church. We're to be as agreeable as we can. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't share our opinion or something like that. But it does mean that we are to make it a point to be compatible. <laughs> uh, I told my pastor one time, I said, as long as what you want to do is not contrary to the word of God, I will support you, whether I agree with it or not, you know. Let's say your church is uh, trying to decide what color to paint the walls of the church. And let's say the pastor decides uh, we're going to paint it a pastel green. Well, that's fine with me. There's nothing in the Bible that says what the color of the church walls are. And so therefore, whatever the church or pastor decides, I'm going to go along with it. You know, especially if it's not contrary to the teaching of the word. Now, if, um, if, for example, you have a church pastor who wants to do something contrary to what the word of God teaches, then I would say that is where I would step in and say, you know, we can't do this. We must not do this. We will not do this. Amen. And um, and then it says here, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. In other words, don't treat people in the bad way like they're treating you, but you treat others the way you would have them treat you. And then he talks about controlling your tongue and staying away from deceitful speech. Now, you know, I think the reason Peter brings this up, he knows that with the mouth, a lot of times we tend to get ourselves in trouble. That's where we have this tendency to say things we shouldn't say. And sometimes if you're a Christian businessman in business, it might even be tempting from time to time to be a little bit deceitful. But the Bible says we are to be careful how we speak and we're not to be deceitful. We must turn from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are inclined to hear their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, once again, there's another indication here that if we really expect God to hear and answer our prayers, then how we're living matters. Now, we don't live a Christian life in order to be saved. We don't quit doing bad things in order to be saved. But now that enters into the equation once uh, you are saved. Because at that point, we're to serve God 
and be eager to do the will of God. Then he goes on to say, who can harm you? Uh, who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, as long as you're doing what is good and what is right, chances are, for the most part, people are going to go along with that. Now, here we come to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, in other words, Peter is acknowledging here that sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where you are um, not necessarily um, going to be treated well because you do what is right. Sometimes when you do what is right, you're going to be persecuted. But he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Bearing in mind the Lord's going to be with you. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be shaken. You know, how we react to the problems we face tells the outside world whether or not we really believe in God. For example, I mean, I know some Christians, and you might know some Christians like this too. They say they're a Christian, but boy, I tell you, they worry about everything. Now, the way I see it, you can worry about something, or you can have faith. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be concerned about it. For example, once again, using that illustration, let's say a man is a good Christian man and he loses his job. You're not going to be worried about what's going to happen because your faith is in God. Now, you should be concerned about the situation, and in fact, you should be concerned about the situation enough to go out and look for another job. And chances are you'll find that God has a job for you that's at least as good as the one you had, if not better. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, but respond with gentleness and respect. Now, let's pause here for a moment. It says here, always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, today we would call this apologetics. Now, this is where we not only know what we believe, which is important, but we need to know why we believe what we believe. Now, this is why I think uh, a good pastor understands that he's got to teach the Bible in such a way that people not only know what we as Christians believe or should believe, but we also know why. Now, when young people go off to college, when they go off to the university, <laughs> we find that uh, uh, a lot of times their faith is put to the test when they start attending classes at the college and university. And, and this is especially true when they're going to a secular college or university. Chances are they're going to hear a lot of things contrary to what they have always been taught. 
And this might also be true even if they're going to a Christian college or university. They may hear things totally different from what they've always been taught by mom and dad or by the church back home. And this is why young people especially, they need to know by the time they're in high school, they need to know what they believe and not only know what they believe, but know why they believe that. Now, if you know what you believe and why, then chances are you don't have to worry about being thrown off course when you're hit with teaching or preaching that is contrary to what, you know, you've always grown up with. Uh, I remember when I went to college and seminary. Now, bearing in mind, you know, seminary is a pretty religious institution. And we as Southern Baptists, we have several seminaries. And it very well may be you're going to hear things even in the seminary that are contrary to what you've always believed. Now, when I was in college at seminary, what I did, when I heard a professor say something different than what I've always believed, I thought about it, I listened to it respectfully, and then I went to the Word. And this is where I had to ask myself, now, one, I know this is what you've always been taught, but is that cut mustard with the Word of God? And that's how I handled the situation. Now, notice he also says, but respond with gentleness and respect. Even though you're listening to a teacher or a preacher that says something that you know is contrary to what the Word of God, don't yell at them and scream at them and argue with them. The Bible says we are to respond with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. Now, in other words, if we respond the way the world would respond, how is that any different from the way the world acts or behaves? For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, in whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In the ark, a few people, only eight souls, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is with the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, it points out here that Christ suffered for our sins once for all. Once for all. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, 
they had an annual day of atonement. Once a year, they would receive atonement, but this atonement was only good for one year. The following year, they had to go through the ceremony and ritual of another day of atonement. But when Christ died on the cross, when Christ died on the cross, we find that Christ became a once-for-all sacrifice. In other words, Jesus Christ only died on that cross once. He didn't have to die on the cross more than that. He died on the cross only once. But that one time covered the sins of everyone who was willing to accept Christ. When Christ saved me back in November of 1969, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, guess what? He forgave, <laughs> he forgave all of my sins, past, present, and future. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then we have here the example of Noah. Now, you know, it's an interesting thing. The Bible indicates Noah preached the word that he had from the Lord for 120 years. You know how many converts he had? He had eight converts. Only eight. Now, um, in our day, we would say, well, you know, Noah must not have been much of a preacher. He mustn't have been very persuasive. Now, I think it just tells us how sinful the world in Noah's day was. But only eight people responded. Now, he also talks about, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Now, I want to clarify something here. Peter is not teaching that baptism will save you. I mean, if you're unsaved, for example, but you decide to be baptized, you're dunked into the water, a sinner, and you come back up a sinner. Nothing happens. But baptism, when it's done properly, number one, it comes after you've been saved. Because it, it actually illustrates what happens to us when we get saved. I mean, here we are standing in the water. This represents our old life before Christ. Then the preacher lowers you into the water. That represents your old sinful life being buried, and then you come up out of the water. This represents your new life in Christ. Amen. Amen. And then we are reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. So you see right now, Jesus is on the right hand of God up in heaven. And I can't wait for the fact that one day I get to see Jesus. And of course, that day for me is sooner than it's ever been. I mean, this coming summer, I'll be 68 years old. That's, an all, that's a long time. Of course, now some of you are probably thinking, 
man, you're still young. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're in your 80s and 90s, you're probably thinking, well, you know, that's a pretty young man. But I'm older than I've ever been before. And I think one thing is pretty clear to me, no matter how long the Lord lets me live, I've already lived more years than I have left. And that's why whatever years I have left, I want to spend those years preaching the gospel and telling other people about Jesus. Amen. And that brings us to the end of chapter 3. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised we got that far today. When I um, was preparing for this broadcast, in all honesty, I didn't really think we'd get past verse 7. But as it turned out, we had enough time to get through the entire chapter 3. That means on the next podcast, we'll get into 1 Peter chapter 4. So go ahead and read that in advance. Now, I do want you to know, I do want you to know that if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, the best way to share those with me is by email. And I have two email addresses, warrenlandis at yahoo.com and warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you give me permission, I'll be glad to share your prayer requests with our unseen, unnumbered radio audience. And I don't know about you, I think it would be comforting to me to know that I've got Christians all over America and Christians all over the world praying for me. And then if you want my snail mail address, my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 402 West Main Street, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. Warren Landis, 204 West Main Street, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. And if you feel led of the Lord to enclose a, a financial contribution, that would be very helpful. It really would. It would be very helpful as we try to grow and expand this ministry. I might point out, just for the record, I don't receive a dime for doing this broadcast. I do it only for one reason, and that is, number one, I love God, and number two, I love you. And if you're a Christian, my desire is to help you grow in your knowledge of the teaching of the Word of God. That's what this radio ministry is all about. Well, we've come to the end of another podcast here. And uh, I've enjoyed being with you on this particular broadcast. And I hope that you will join us again next time. Until then, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.